0: Welcome to the Leadership Sensei Radio, the small business podcast where we go long form with business owners and experienced leaders on what it takes to succeed in business today. I'm your host, Brett Morrison. If you're a first time listener, welcome along. If you're coming back and tuning in again, I thank you. It is you, the listeners who make this show matter. So let's get this started. I'm really excited about today's podcast for a couple of reasons. The first one is that this podcast is the very first podcast from the Leadership Sensei. And I see the podcast as a new way that I can bring even more value to our Leadership Sensei community. And secondly, I'm excited about the guests we're bringing on our show today. I met Sean back in 2001 and we've been great friends ever since. We've done a lot of things together. We've even run a successful business together over the years. And what you'll hear unfold throughout this podcast is the way that Sean approaches his business and his unique way of just getting things done. So let's not muck around any longer and let's bring him on. Welcome, Sean. Thanks for coming along and enjoying our podcast. Uh, for those that are, are listening today, uh, look, this is our first, first podcast for the Leadership Sensei. So Sean is our number one guest for our podcast. How lucky am I? Very. How lucky am I? Thanks very much for... <laughs> For taking the time out and sharing your experiences with us today. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, look, I'd like to just start up front with just a little bit of background about you. Okay. Um, so, tell us a bit about your story, so our listeners can get a, a feel for where you've come from. Mm-hmm. To and as we go through the through the podcast, we'll get to where you've end up. Yep. And sure. So, some something, something that drive you as you as you've come through. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, I my
1: background uh, as far as I know, this is primarily a business uh, podcast but my background is actually quite similar to yours Brett on as people who know you and I will know that we, we share a lot of things in common so my, my I guess my first passion in life was martial arts which started from about the age of 12 which I know rubs or has rubbed off a lot of traits or personality traits and the way I live my life now yeah um, so we've certainly shared that in common um we, I know we've, we've trained together we've uh, been in, it, involved with martial arts together over the years, which is how we originally met, right? It was, absolutely. A yeah. long, long way back. I, I yeah. won't try to remember how many years it is now, but it's been a while. Uh, 17. You're kidding. No. Okay, yeah. there you go. Uh, so, martial arts was my first thing from about age of 12, and I did that for a long time, a couple of decades. And then from there, I got into long distance running, endurance running, which again, something we've shared yep. um, and have continued to share in. And that again also has, has helped shape me as a person in the way that I approach challenges. So I think martial arts and long distance running have been two formative things in the way that I've approached life and things that have given me a lot of um, my character traits, I guess, have come through those two individual pursuits, given that they're not team sports. And that's something that's a little bit different. If we go back to my origin story, my family is very much traditional Australian family. You know, Aussie rules cricket, grew up in the country all that sort of thing, and I I think I broke the mould a little bit as far as uh, how the gene pool was probably directing me. Yeah. I was I was destined to be probably a good cricketer and football and I had no interest in either of those things. I grew up around it, but just, it just wasn't there for me. Yeah. So I got into martial arts at an early age, and then uh, running came after that, and then at the same time I, did, I was doing both of those things for a long time. Um, eventually moved away from the martial arts purely from geographical reasons, the school that I was involved yeah. with, building with a good friend of ours, um, I just moved too far away from. So that was something I moved out of doing on a regular basis. And then the running became a big part of my life. Um, I've, I've been a health practitioner since I left high school. Um, and that's been my career. So I've, I've built a, I knew from an early age, probably the age of 12, that I wanted to be a health practitioner of some sort. Uh, it started out as massage and then came on, went on to become um, other versions of manual therapy and, and exercise yeah. uh, therapy, exercise science. So I've combined all of those things now and I practice a combination of manual and exercise therapies. Um, and I've built private practices over the years, built a number of those. Um, the one that I, I had one that was, I had it running for about 10 years, that was probably my longest running clinical practice. And that went really well. I was running that down on the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria for about, yeah, close to a decade. That was a great business. Uh, I've since moved up to Melbourne, living close to the city now, and I've got a a private practice here on a smaller scale, um, but it's also going quite well. So I've been a health practitioner all my career, um, and then from the early stages of that career in my early 20s, I fell into teaching, which I was doing anyway through martial arts, which is how I met you. And uh, so I've always had a natural affinity, I think, with teaching, I've, I've found myself drawn to Um, educating others in whatever thing I'm passionate about, wanting to help others become part of that. So it was both fortuitous and um, probably destined that I was going to end up in teaching and health in in one way or another. I was was given an opportunity at a time when I probably wasn't ready for it, both professionally and just in age-wise, but went into it anyway, which tends to be a pattern in my life. I'll just give it a go and see how it goes. And lucky for me, it was something I really enjoyed and then uh, from there, I, I realised that education and teaching was something that I, I, I did quite comfortably. I, I found yeah. that was a, a nice place for me to be in front of a classroom. Uh, it wasn't a comfortable place, though, and I think that's probably something that I've realised about myself is that I tend to be drawn to doing things that I don't find easy or comfortable.
0: So what, what is about that that you think draws you to that? Because like in martial arts and ultra-running, because yep. we share this passion. a lot of people ask me, why because there's a lot of pain involved in that both yeah. physical and mental mm-hmm. and i see a lot of analogy there with, with going into business so absolutely what, yeah. yeah so what <laughs> is it that you think is about those activities that actually draws you to keep going back
1: yeah well i guess that's the interesting thing too about the difference between individual sport or individual pursuits like martial arts and running given that you don't you do it you don't do it with a team you, it's you yeah you either do it f- for competition purposes or you do it for your own self-satisfaction. And I think that I I never went into competition martial arts. I wasn't interested in fighting as such, did it more for my, you know, physical and and mental expression. Um, and the running was the same thing. Like I do enjoy competing and running, but I've never been super competitive at it. I've never been, uh, I'm not going to win a race anytime, but I really enjoy that pursuit of, you know, trying to overcome this time or that time, my own personal, um, perceived limitations. So I think that the the why thing comes down to, for me at least, comes down to trying to figure out where my capacity ends or, or does it end um, yeah. and then trying to... It, it's Again, it's a self-satisfaction thing. Seeing something go, that seems way, way too hard for most people and for yeah. myself and then trying to reverse engineer that and figure out a way to get it done. Uh, and then when you do actually crack it and you go, actually, well, I just ran 100 miles or yeah. I just... You know, got my black belt or my third dan or whatever it might be, yeah. and you think, wow, that seemed like an eternity away when I first looked at it, and now I've just completed that, and that's there's no greater satisfaction. Well, I I can't speak for someone who com- you know competes in, in team sports, but there's no there has been no greater satisfaction for me than overcoming some of those challenges that seemed insurmountable on first glance. Yeah, yeah. So I think both running and and uh, martial arts both provided me with that, and then later in business as well.
0: Do you feel that sets you up to feel invincible in a way that when the challenge does hit you, that and like life does throw challenges at us, right? Mm. So when a really hard challenge comes at us, and you know you've gone through all these challenges before that you thought were impossible, but you've met head on and, and then beat them and succeeded and gone even further again. Yep. Do you think that sets up this feeling of invincibility where you put on your coat of armor and you actually? I can do whatever I think I can do. Yeah. Whatever I want to do, I'll, if I want it bad enough, I'll get
1: there. 150%. And I think that's been... a. F- I would like to say it's a flaw to think that I'm invincible. But at the same time, it's been the reason why I've been able to do... Why I've, I've been able to do so many different things in my life that other people look at and say, wow. Yeah. And for me, it's not wow. For me, it's just, yeah, but anybody can do that. Yeah. It's a mindset thing. So I, I'd like to blame, I think, my grandparents because blame someone. Blame someone. <laughs> no. i think that um you know this concept of you know your parents build you up or your grandparents or whoever's close to you as a child builds you up to have certain beliefs about yourself and when i was growing up my parents and my grandparents my, on my father's side are very close to they always told me i could do anything i put my mind to and for some reason i believe them and whether that's a false sense of um certainty or, or what i was always of the mind that if i wanted something bad enough and i could yeah. figure out a way to make it happen then it would be so you know i i, I remember yeah. when i was in year this was just an example i do it was when you started grade end of grade five i decided that i wanted to be school captain yep and th- then i saw that there's this thing called house captain you know sports captain yep. and i thought wow what if i could do both of those I remember this vividly and it was in grade five and I remember seeing the, the outgoing uh, school captain, outgoing house captain thinking, well, that's two different people. If I could get both of those, that would be amazing. Like, I don't know anyone's ever done that. And I set my mind to it and I figured out the kind of things that I would have to do to position myself for it. Sure enough, I got it. And that reinforced this, this, uh, this belief that anything was possible for me. So I think that was probably the first thing. If I look back, that was the first thing that I thought, well, if I really want something bad enough, I can make it happen. And then from then on, yeah. that happened in the martial arts. I know that I, I started training when I was 12. And I think by the time I was 14, I realized that I wanted to take over the school that I was training wow. in. Like that, that, I, that, was, that was going to be my school. I, it was almost in the first week. I've, I've got this <laughs> <Yeah>. overinflated <laughs> sense of importance, I'm sure. But I decided that this school was going to be mine. And then I think by 15, I was, teaching the, I was running the school. My instructor right. had gotten busy with work and he yeah. said, no, you're ready for this. Off you, off you go. So at 15, I was running the martial arts school and then that's that pattern seemed to happen a lot in yeah. in in roles that I was employed in I would work my way up the chain fairly quickly if yeah. if it was something I wanted yeah and I don't know whether that is an I'm I'm sure part of that comes down to ego I'm absolutely certain part of it comes down to ego I think ego is seen as a bad thing or as a bit of a dirty word but I use my my dr- my drive comes from my my want to be the best or the best I can be yep. in whatever it is that I'm doing. Yeah. So when I I look at positions or roles or jobs or uh, um, ownership of something, and I think, well, if I can get to that point, then therefore I, I've done the best I could possibly do, and I try to figure out how to get there as fast yep. as I can.
0: Which is great, and I'm glad you brought that up. That whole idea of the ego, because a lot of people do, I think, see that ego as a, as a bad thing, and people, especially in Australian culture, like we mm. have we have a syndrome for this, you know, the tall poppy it's syndrome. Tall poppy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and. Essentially, the the ego is there to keep us safe. And so it will look for the things that you want to see. And if you have a strong ego, so Mm -hmm. a strong sense of self, it will support you in getting to where you want to go. Mm. Because a lot of people, I think, take the the immature, unresourceful side of the ego and then become an egomaniac and talk about how great they are and all this stuff, as opposed to going, well, I'm going to back myself to achieve what I want to do and the best version of me. And the best version of them may be different on any given day, depending on what's happening for them on that day. yeah. But if their ego is strong and confident, then they're happy to accept the best on that day. Yeah. And like, I know from the runs that we've shared, there's good days and there's not so good days. And yeah? Sure. So, yeah. and you can beat yourself up about the not so good days, mm. but you know, if you do the best that you can on that given day, you have to be happy with that and move on. And I think that's a big part of getting successful even in business or, yeah. or in, Particularly in business, but just in life in general.
1: Yeah, and, and you're right. We do have that culture in Australia where we do have the, the tall poppy syndrome. And anyone that stands up and says, Hey, look at me, I'm actually pretty good at this and I'm, I'm proud of it, we like to say, Oh, come on, mate, put your head in. <laughs> yeah. Whereas you go to something like America where that's celebrated, you know, that that kind of um, grandiose, you know, show of bravado or whatever it might be. The person stands up and it's like a hip hop culture, you know, yeah, like, look is, at me. Like... You know, they always talk about how good they are. And in Australia, we kind of really stick our nose up to that. And that's, you know, it makes you feel sick. But it's actually people just being proud of their thing. Yeah. Now, you're right. You can be an egomaniac and get carried away with that. Um, but at the same time, if you do it, if it's coming from a place of satisfaction within you, not just yeah. as, as a way to show off, then, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And yeah. in fact, if it's if it supports you in your drive and supports you to, to achieve things and, and do more things for you and your family and whatever else drives yeah. you, then, then I say go for it. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I quite often draw the analogy between martial arts and even coming into this, this ego sense where for me personally when I came into martial arts originally because I started at a very similar age. I was at 13 I think when I first mm-hmm. started martial arts and I, I did it for many years, had a break and I came back to it in, in my early 30s and that's when I first met you. So I think there's a sense of strength and ego that comes with being able to master martial arts it is, a, is probably the, well, I believe it is the darkest art you can learn. Okay. Because you learn to kill people. So, and defend other people, but by defending other people, you're eliminating a threat in the other sense. So, mm-hmm. I do believe there's people that get caught in that physicality of martial arts, and that's where the yeah. ego catches them up. I'm strong. I can hurt people. Yes. As opposed to going, actually, I'm capable. I've come through the fire. You know, we, temp- we talk about tempering the sword through a fire and it comes mm-hmm. out they never actually come out. They're just stuck in that sense of ego about how strong they can be. Yeah. But when they come through the other side, and I see this more with the, the senior martial artists that have done it for a while and they go, well, actually, it's actually about how strong I am or how much pain I can deliver. It's about how I can help people, how I can teach people, how I can protect those that are close and dear to me. Yeah. And that ego turns into more of a self-confidence in themselves Yeah. as opposed to, look at me, how great I am.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and for me that was the same thing, you know, with martial arts it was all about self-expression. I am fascinated by the little guy who can take on yeah. 20 big guys and exert zero e- effort and they just fall away, you know, yeah. like it's not about inflicting pain or hurting somebody else, it's about mastery of your own, you know, body and mind yeah. and and that stuff fascinates me and if I was to go back into martial arts now and and spend a lot more time in it than I am currently then it, it would be all about, you know, just being trying to trying to master the subtlety of it, and I really yeah. like that. And I think that that's what has attracted me to business as well. Yeah. My, my favourite thing in business is in is the concept of innovation yeah. and taking something or a challenge or a problem that's in front of you and then not, not figuring out how to compete with others but actually just go around their competition and pop up next yeah. to them. Yeah. You know, to sort of innovate beyond the problem or over the problem or under the problem or around yeah. the problem. I love that. So, you know, the thing that gets me most excited in my business now is... When somebody says, oh, you know, we can't do this because of... Yeah. And I go, well, hang there's on There's an second. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, let me show you how it can be done, you yeah. know. So I love that side of thing, and I think that comes from the martial arts side yeah, of nice. it, yeah. Mm.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I'm really glad you, you actually shared that because when people go into business, or, or rather don't go into business, a lot of the time it is about, oh, there's too many people already in my market. There's not enough opportunity. Um, there's too much competition. And what I'm hearing from you, and I've heard it from many other successful business owners, is there's enough for everyone.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And there's certainly, I've been, I've found myself in a mentoring type role with health practitioners the last probably 10 years as I've worked my way up in the education space. And I find myself, uh, because I've been doing it a while now, new graduates in particular come to me and say, no, I've got to, I want to start a new business or I'm getting employed by this person. Can you give me some advice, whatever it might be? And there's always this fear element. You know, there's people coming out into the industry and they'll ask questions like, well, you know, I live in this suburb and there's already a lot of this particular practitioner. Do you think I should set up shop somewhere else? Or yeah. I, I'm working in this clinic and there's five other blah, blah, blah therapists. You know, Is that too many? And it's, No, like you, can, you can have any business in any sector. If you're the best at what you yeah. do, you will get the market. Absolutely. So it's, it's not about competition. It's just about you being better than everybody else.
0: And with that conversation, do they often bring up price?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yep. How much do I charge? And in, invariably people will go, well, if everyone else is charging $100 an hour, I should probably be 60 or 70 because then yeah. people will come to me. And I always give them the analogy, and, and anyone in business will know this, but you know, if you see two cars parked on the side of the road, let's just say they're two 1995 Commodores parked there, both the same colour, both the same age. One's got a $35,000 sticker on it and the other one's got a, a $450 sticker on it you'll assume the cheaper one is of less value. Yep. They could be the exact same, same car. And even if one's only $1,000 more, a few hundred dollars more, you'll assume that there'll be a difference in value. So theoretically, based on that concept, then we should be pricing ourselves, ourselves up in the market yep. to increase our perceived value. And then it's just about you know, supporting that, backing that up by actually delivering value.
0: Absolutely. Mm. I absolutely agree. And I think a lot of that can be shaped around people knowing how much value they can bring how much experience they have behind them. Um, I do often see, especially in, in, in my market, which is the leadership and business coaching space, yep. there's a lot of people that don't necessarily have a lot of background experience, but they want to charge the top end of mm. the dollar. And I think in some ways they're shortchanging both themselves and also their clients. Yeah. Um, I don't think they should shortchange themselves and not give themselves a good rate, but if they want to start charging the top rate, right, I think they need to come with a level of experience. So when I see someone like yourself, you do have a lot of experience. You've got a lot of practical experience doing what you do. You've also got a lot of knowledge from the teaching aspect. And those as, as you know from when you start teaching, it's a whole different ball game from being able to do something but then being able to teach someone else how to do it. Well, that.
1: they say those who can't do teach. Right? Yeah. It's the, yeah. the old tafe the tafe <laughs> teacher story. <laughs>
0: well, well it is, isn't it? But I would disagree with that because there's a whole new level of being able to explain the intricacies of being able to do a technique, uh, whether it be through the manual therapies or in martial arts or teaching business or whatever it's going to be, um, that you have to be able to put into a language that they can understand it. And quite often, you'll have different people in the room that need a different language. Absolutely. Yeah. So you need to be able to understand your craft so well that you can speak it in three different languages. Yeah,
1: and and everyone's been to a seminar or a workshop or, or attended a course where there's been a presenter up there, and they've. Delivered it in their best format possible, and it's only yeah. it's only touched half the room, absolutely. Because their format or their their way of delivery is their way of delivery, and that's yeah. it. Bad luck. So <laughs> yeah. I Bad think luck. the mark yeah. of a good teacher is being able to read the audience and read the room, and and being able to deliver. What's the Stephen Covey saying? Um, seek first to be understood, yeah. And then, uh, how does it go? Seek first to be understood, and then try to deliver your message after that. So yeah. the this idea of being able to look at your audience and say, okay, now what do they need to know firstly, and then how do they need to hear it? And yes. being able to do that in real time is, is the mark of a good teacher. And I think that you can't fake that. Um, it's something that I've had to work on and I'm still working on. Yeah. Don't always get it right, but when you do get it right, it, it has so much more impact than just delivering information.
0: Yeah, nice. I'd like to pick up on that comment that you just made. Actually. Mm. so You said, I don't think I've mastered it yet. And it's something I still need to work on. Yeah, you've won multiple awards from your students saying, hey, you're, Sean is the best teacher in our college by far, multiple years in a row. I, I know that for a fact because I used to teach at the same college where you yeah. were, and actually helped me get into that into that role, uh, teaching business. So I know that you're an exceptional teacher. I've also seen that firsthand because you used to teach me martial arts. So I'm fascinated by this concept, and I'm wondering how much of your martial arts and also this this quest to just continually challenge yourself, where you actually have mastered your craft, but you don't, well, you're a master of your craft, but you don't feel you've mastered your craft yet, if that makes sense. So you still yeah. think there's still space to grow. You haven't got to the point where you go, actually, yeah, I know this stuff. And I don't need to learn anymore. Thanks very much.
1: Yeah. Now, I, I still get nervous when I'm teaching, Yeah. which is uh, hard for most students to imagine because when I stand up in front of class, excuse me, <clears throat> I, I come across very confident, almost a little cocky, perhaps, yep. but it, that's just me being playful. Yep. Um, so I, I still get a little nervous when I stab in front of a group, but the, nerve, the nervousness that I feel now is excitement more than fear. So early days, starting out lecturing in a, in a university-style setting at the age of, right, well, age of 21 and a half, I think I was. I think you were, yeah. Um, that, was, that was real nerves and fear, yeah. uh, which then, as I started to get comfortable, changed from fear to excitement. And now, when I now the bigger the audience, the better.
0: Yeah.
1: And I, I get a lot of energy, a lot of drive from big audiences. So if I'm in front of four, five 600 people, yeah. that's the most exciting thing for me, and it's also the most um, nerve-wracking thing. And the and I find myself drawn to doing more and more things like that, where I nice. where I'm nervous and a little bit scared. Yeah. Um, because I find that it brings out the best stuff in me. Yeah. Some, something in that space pulls it out. So you're right. I do. Um. I don't think I've mastered teaching. I think I'm way better at it now than I was 10 years ago, even five years ago. Um, but that's that has come through self-knowledge and confidence that I know what I'm talking about. Yep. Give me a topic that I'm not really comfortable on. I'll still deliver it well, but I won't really own it. I won't, yeah. you know, I won't feel as good about what I'm doing. And when I feel good about what I'm teaching and I know that it's valuable and I know that it's going to be useful for people um i think that yeah the value just comes through in that delivery so yeah. yeah i'm always working on it i think that i can always learn from others i, I like to watch professional speakers people who have really mastered or are mastering their thing yeah. um do their thing and I, I pull it apart now and kind of um you know like when you've got a, a toy car as a kid and you pull it apart and try to figure out how it works i kind of do that yeah. when i'm watching people speak uh, i get very excited by watching a good presenter and just seeing how they deliver it more yeah. above and beyond what they're actually saying, but yeah, actually how they deliver it.
0: I'm, I'm glad you shared that. It's that's something I learned a few years ago you know, uh, in, in when I first went into the coaching space. So they said, when you go to a presentation or you go to a lecture or you go to a seminar, 98% of the people or 99% of people, they will take notes on what the guy's saying. Be the person who's taking notes on how they're saying it.
1: Good point, yeah.
0: Yeah, so pull apart... What are they starting with? Mm. How are they building up to their point? Where are they standing on the stage? Mm. You know, how do they use the microphone? What's their use of language? What's their use of physiology and tone throughout the day? Uh, and that's a that's a fantastic point that you've brought up.
1: And I think it's probably why both you and I are fascinated by NLP. Yeah, Because that's what yeah. it's all about, right? You know? <laughs> yeah, you know, people, people say NLP is, you know, just the ultimate sales gimmick or sales tool to be able to yeah. trick people into doing things. But for me, it's helping people understand something better. If I can use those um, communication skills and styles to help people get the message faster and more efficiently, then why not? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's
0: it's about... I think there is a fine line between that influence and and manipulation, and a lot of that is around intent. Yes. And if, if you're working with someone to help them get the result that they're looking for and that they need, then you're influencing them. If you're getting to the point which is about benefiting only you mm-hmm. then I think it's probably the dark art of manipulation right yeah. um, but I'm glad you brought up NLP because it's something that I use a lot in my everyday life it's probably to the point where I don't think about how I'm using it yeah but there's a few key things that I brought out and they touch very closely around what you've talked about before is about having intent mm. and NLP is about that awareness of myself and uh, the language, language I use, how I hold myself, what I'm thinking, the thoughts that I think, yeah. how long I allow myself to ponder on those thoughts, sure, you know, both good and bad, um, and then when I know I've got control of what I'm doing, I can better help other people.
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah, it's just about positioning yourself to to deliver your best stuff, you know, in a, in a way that yeah. can actually benefit people. So. You know, and you're right, you know, it does come down to intent. And if you can figure out a way to, to get your best intentions to somebody, then, you know, you, you do what you need to do to get yeah. it to make it happen. Yeah. Mm.
0: So, look, let's just backtrack just a slight bit. Back, back to your business career. Because mm. when I first met you, you were working for yourself completely. There was no job per se. So, from memory you were running a martial arts school, mm-hmm. you had your own private clinic. Yep. I think you might've just started or about to start teaching. So the job may have yeah. been there, but it wasn't full time. Yeah.
1: So I had a private practice clinic, which I was just starting out again in my early twenties. So it was my first ever practice. Uh, I literally had rented a room in a multimodality practice. At that point, it was only myself and a podiatrist. That particular clinic grew into about seven or eight different kinds of practitioners. It was quite a busy clinic by the time I left. Um, and I was teaching martial arts four nights a week, so essentially it was a full-time gig almost. Um, and then, yeah, I had been offered a spot in a college. It was the college that I studied in. Yep. Um, and it was offered a spot teaching one of the modalities that I'd learned while I was a student there. So I'd only been out of the college for 18 months or something like that. It wasn't a really long time. Uh, and then this opportunity to teach came up. And uh, like I do with, some, with most things that scare me, I went, yes, straight away with that, before even I thought about it, because I thought this is... Uh, yep. Too good of an opportunity to pass up on. And I would have to say my biggest... One of my biggest driving characteristics about myself, one of the things that really drives me is this. If I'm afraid of anything, it's a fear of regret. Yes. So that the fear that one day I'll wake up and say, what if?
0: Is that why you never pull out of a race?
1: 100,000%. Yeah.
0: Because I've seen you at times when you should have pulled out of a race. Yeah. Actually, I've proved for you when you should have pulled out of a you, race. You have been on its crew, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you, you suffered... For a long time after
1: that perhaps. Yeah, I've, I've got this thing in me that says, what if I could keep going a little bit longer? Yeah. And then you get to a little bit longer and you think, well, what if I could keep going a little bit longer? And I, like, I'm like, i not afraid of um, hurting myself in, in sport, in martial yeah. arts or running. I'm not afraid of this kind of long-term... I've never injured myself badly enough to have a, yeah. have a reality check. I think that's probably <laughs> it. I've ridden motorbikes all my life. I've done all these things yeah. that I could potentially have hurt myself quite badly and I've never hurt myself really badly. So maybe if that had happened early on, it might have shaped me a little bit differently, but um, yeah, 100,000% That's why I've never DNF'd or did not finish in a race, um, regardless of how much pain or discomfort I was in. was because this fear of regret of waking up and thinking, well, I actually probably could have gone a bit further, or maybe yeah. I could have finished, or what if? Yeah. So the teaching opportunity came up, and it terrified me, and I thought, well, you know, what if I get 10 years down the road and think, well, oh, I missed that opportunity? Yeah. That might have been my one chance. Yeah. Um, so I went into um, lecturing at a tertiary institution and it was terrifying and I loved it and I hated it all in one and I did that for well I've been doing it now for all my career yeah Um. so that was that same day that I interviewed for that job I'd heard through another colleague that there was a teaching position going in another school a few blocks away in the city yeah and they said it's they're interviewing for this particular role you should go and interview so I, I literally photocopied my resume and walked up the street walked in the door introduced myself and sat down with the college owner and they interviewed me and I got that job as well so two teaching jobs from no teaching jobs in one yep. day. Um, and then I taught at both of those colleges for about, one of them 13 years, another one 15 yep. years. Wow. And so that those particular, those individual roles have played a bigger part in shaping my professional career than just about anything I've done. Yeah. And they purely came through an opportunity that was a out of the blue offer, yeah. Um, and one that I could have just as easily said no to.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, but chose to say yes, yep.
1: and would never ever have changed a thing about it, either opportunity.
0: And one of those took you from being part-time teaching. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming. Sessional all, teacher, yep. sessional teacher, all the way through to running the program, actually running the school. Yeah, and it's a little bit
1: like my um my uh trajectory in martial arts. You yep. know, started out at the bottom of the food chain. Within oh, three years, I would worked my way into a, a permanent position. That permanent position very quickly went to course coordinator, and then there was three different tiers within the courses of that school, and I worked my way through all of those three. And then there was one job ahead of me, one job above me in the, in the food chain, and I thought, I had my eyes on it for about 18 months, I guess, or two years, and had a huge amount of respect for the guy that was doing that job, loved him, yeah. both, both as a person, as a professional, a huge amount of respect, and I, I something in me said, I think I can do that job better than him. Yeah. I don't know what it was. I didn't want to take him out of the role, yeah. So, I convinced the college owner to create a role that sat beside it so that I could have some influence over the programs and uh, basically just have it yeah, put a bit more of myself into what I was doing. Yeah. I, th- I thought that I had something more to give than what I was doing at the time, so I convinced him to create this other role and, I, and he did. He took me up on the offer and I moved into that role. And then that person, that person that I was mentioning before, he left, um, so it made sense to move into his role. So, I didn't yeah. push him out, but I, I, I gave the college owner an opportunity to see what I could do. Yeah. and uh and then the other person left so i moved into the head of school role which i that was i loved it you know it yeah. gave me a chance to both influence what the students learned from you know zero to 100 everything that was in the middle of that um but also have a, an opportunity to then move into management so i was hiring staff firing staff, yeah. i was building them up professionally and helping them develop personally and professionally and, and really having a, a one-on-one relationship with every student and every staff member and and seeing the college running inside and out, and yeah, I really love that role. Yeah, yeah.
0: and I see management and leadership as two separate roles within mm. within a role, and as a business owner, there's a lot of leadership. Most people don't do the management side that well, yep. but a lot of people do the leadership stuff quite good because mm. they're leading themselves. Yep. So how much impact do you feel at that, that role particularly helped grow your leadership, especially with a team? Yeah,
1: very. I had to mature very quickly. I, even when I started that role, I was would have been in my very early thirties, maybe even late twenties, no, probably early thirties when I started that head of school role. And so I was probably the youngest head of school that had, that had ever been in existence, I think. And, and, I, and people on the outside in other academics that would come and have dealings with the college probably look at me and say, who's this guy? Surely you yeah. could have found someone who'd had, you know, been in, in the role a little bit longer or had some more gray hair yeah. or something like that. Bit of gray hair. <laughs> bit of know, gray hair. But uh, so I very quickly had to develop self-confidence yeah. and know how to hold myself and walk the walk and talk the talk. So yeah. one of the, the greatest skills that it developed in me was the ability to appear more confident than I was. That's probably the best yeah. way to put it. So project confidence, pro- project um, knowledge and experience, even if I didn't have what others might expect in that role, yeah. to project that I did, and then that would instill confidence in others, and then, then they would put me up where I needed to be. Yeah. Uh, so that was something I had to learn very quickly, and it's, it's one of the hardest things to teach, to, to build confidence in others when they don't naturally have it. Um, but if you can get there, it helps so much in just about everything you do.
0: Yeah, and I love how you talk about the choice to be confident. A lot of people I've worked with over the years in a coaching role, they say, look, if I just get more training, if I do another course, I'll have that confidence. Oh, I hate that. So do I. I hate and, that. <laughs> but all they're getting is competence. Yes. So they get stuck in what we call the confidence, confidence loop. And the more confidence they get, the less confident they get because they go, oh, I will just need this other course. I need mm. to do this certificate. Oh, I need to do that. But in actual fact, they just need to believe in themselves. And the fact is we can't know all the answers. Mm. But a good leader needs to be confident because that instills confidence in the people that they're leading. Yes. And at some point, you just need to choose to be confident. Yeah. And like I and always, you can't teach that. No,
1: you can't. And I, something I've discovered in, in recent years, which I try to teach to a lot of people who are moving into management roles or starting a business is you, you can't, Get or have confidence. You have to do confidence. Yes, it's a doing thing. Yes, you know you can. When you are being confident, it's an action. Yes, it's not something that you are. And you can you can be confident one moment and not confident the next purely because how you feel. Yeah, you know. And if you can start, and if you can start to control the way you feel and and in and use your intention around that, then you know being confident is something you can turn on and off whenever you need to.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm.
0: So let's just take this. Then another part. Sure. So, so far, we've talked about all the things that you've done and achieved. Mm-hmm. Can you share some, a couple of your biggest challenges that you've faced? Okay. Either in business... Yep. Actually, in business, and plus also in your role, in your leadership role.
1: Okay. Um, so, one thing I haven't mentioned in... I've moved into in the business world is I've... Uh, in the last two years, um, I've partnered up with my, my partner, Carolina. We've started a business called Continuing Education Australia, which is yep. now my... The biggest thing that I do in my professional life, it's where I yeah. spend about 80% of my time. I still have a private practice, and I'll do that forever. Uh, when I stop doing that, I do, is when I think that I'll stop being relevant as a teacher because I'm not yeah. not practicing what I preach at that point. Yeah. So I'll always be in private practice, and I do that as a part-time thing. Um, but I have this uh, business now, which is Continuing Education Australia with Caroline. And while well, she takes more so of a role... So where can
0: people find
1: you on that one, though? Okay, so uh, the website is ceaustralia.com. Uh, ceaustralia.com. Uh, so as far as the two of us in this role um i manage the business i run the day-to-day happenings of the business and caroline is involved in developing some of the teaching content and then we deliver the content together typically unless one of us specializes more than the other in that particular role so we've got this professional development education delivery or seminar business i guess we run workshops for health practitioners to help them develop professionally and so you in answer to your question what has been my biggest challenge um one of my biggest challenges in my business career. This one is an interesting, this business is an interesting one. It's actually the third incarnation of this business that I've had. You and I started our first incarnation. We had the Body Link School. We did, Um, many years ago. Many moons ago. We were teaching cupping and massage and reflexology and other bits and pieces. Um, So that was my first foray into running professional development seminars. And I found that I really loved that. That was just far too much fun. We had a great time. And we got paid for it. We did get paid (laughs) (laughs) for it. Exactly. So the thing I... I discovered very quickly about that space, professional development, is that the quality of people that you have coming to your courses is different than you'd get in tertiary institutions. People are paying their own money, it's not government money, it's not their parents' money, it's their own money to come along and learn something very specific on a day or two days or a week, whatever it might be, from you because you've got that knowledge. And so the quality of student, when I say quality I don't mean the person, I mean the the desire within them to learn learn was was much greater and that's so much more rewarding as a teacher when people really want to be there. So I love that, and then as you and I got different, um, got busy in different spaces, I then started doing. And you moved to the other side. Of the country. I did move the other side of the country almost. I started doing some other um, seminars like that uh, by myself, teaching yeah. dry needling and other bits and pieces, um, and again found that really rewarding. And um, and while I had some success with that, in fact it was it was growing. Uh, my reputation as a professional educator in that space was growing fairly quickly, but I didn't really find a way to crack it to a way to you know, really build that, yeah. that space or build myself in that space quite well. And I think I was trying to do too many things at once. Agreed. So a big challenge for me over the years has been having too many passions. Like I'm yeah. passionate about a lot of things. Like I'm, One thing that I've probably done well and badly at the same time is that anything that I've been really passionate, and loved, passionate about and loved, I've built a business around it, yep. which has been a blessing and a curse. Um, I built a business around martial arts. I built a business around running. I built a business around health. All my, you know, the three things that have yep. shaped me f-
0: throughout my life. And there's been multiple businesses around each of those.
1: Correct. And yeah. and I don't know what it is. I just when I really love something, I really love doing something. I think, well, why can't I sustain myself within that and then yeah. enjoy it every day? So I've yeah. I've made that my mission throughout my career to do to build businesses around the things I love. And, and health has been the one thing that's really I've, I, it's been able to sustain me through that probably the most. Um, so we started with BodyLink and then I had Inspired Health Training, which was just me. And then um, yeah, a couple of years ago, 2015, into 2015, Carolina, yep. and I started CEA. And that has probably been the most rewarding combination as far as being able to put it all together. Yeah. And I think largely it's because my commitment as far as time goes has been more, yeah. more invested. You know, I've, yeah. I've pulled back on the formal teaching. In fact, I'm not doing any teaching in institutions right now. Um, that ended the middle of this year. Uh, both by choice and by chance. And I took a bit of a leap of faith and decided not to do any of those formal teaching roles and just throw myself at CEA pretty much 100%. You
0: actually knocked back positions to do this, right? Yeah,
1: Yeah. well, the the last teaching role I had came to an end just due to some management changes and bits and pieces. And then within the next two weeks, I think I was offered three teaching roles in different institutions. And it was the hardest thing because they're all great opportunities, places I would have said yes to in a heartbeat years ago. And would still today if the situation was different, but had to say no because I knew that if I didn't really give this, this business, CEO business, a red-hot go, yeah. it would be one of those what-ifs. And I wasn't willing to, to have that what-if. Yeah. And I can see the potential in this business. So again, coming back to your question about what's been my biggest challenge, it would be committing to something with no real safety net. So yeah. financially at the moment, I'm investing all of, all the yeah. profits, all every cent is going yeah. back into CEA, um, without any real safety net. With you know, if it was to fall off the face of the earth, I'd be stuck. Yeah. But I know that I've got other things I can fall back to. You know, like yeah. I know that within a fairly short amount of time, I've got enough connections in the industry I could find work if I needed to. All that yeah. stuff, which is, you know, emotionally yeah. a safety net. Yeah. Um, but without you know, going hundred um, percent into something, I think you really, you never really know how hard it can be, yeah. Um, and how rewarding it can be. So. Yeah, a big fear for me or a big challenge for me now isn't having faith in my abilities. Yep. Having faith that what I'm putting together, what I'm building, what we're building together is is going to work out. And so far, all the signs are, you know, great. Like the first, good. from the first year to the second year, we had 100% financial growth. Yep. You now the numbers increased by 100%. I'm projecting that to go again next year. Yep. So at that trajectory, I'm going to be, you know, well ahead of where I've ever been financially. Um, and the the satisfaction that comes with this business is you know like nothing else i've done before yeah uh, it's just it brings together all of the things that drive me. you know health yeah. education um, business uh, creativity innovation um, i get to work with other passionate people alongside yeah. other people get opportunities to do things like this interview i you know, just yeah. talk about stuff that i'm interested in and you know, all of those things just drive me every day. So, yeah. yeah.
0: And you get to choose the clients that you work with. Whereas, Absol- yeah, I think, and that's the difference. So, I know even when I, I taught at the co- same college that you were, I remember one class. This young kid goes, "Do we need to turn up to class to pass?" <laughs> and I laughed. Yeah. I said, "No." I said, "But do you know how much you're paying for this class?" And he goes, uh, "What do you mean?" He had no idea. Yeah. But clearly, he wasn't paying anything. His mum and dad were paying. Yeah. And so. His passion wasn't in the industry that he was learning. No, his passion was somewhere else, mm. completely different. Yep. And I could tell the kids that were paying it for themselves. Yeah. Because they turned up to every class. Yeah. And I asked them. I said, Are "You guys paying for this?" I go, "Yep." Mm. I said, "Yeah, I thought so." And they had this drive. They, they yep. wanted to succeed. And they took on all. They took great notes, and they applied. And I have to say, a lot of them have still stayed in touch with me. And mm. like, I haven't been there for many years. And actually, I had one of them me just a couple of weeks ago, look, can we catch up for lunch? I've got this business idea. Would you be open to, for me, run it past you? And that to me is a great honor. Yeah. And knowing that you've had that impact on someone enough that even like six years later, they'll give you a call out of the blue and go, hey, do you mind catching up? Yeah. Um, and so when you get to work with people who are passionate about what they do. And they value you. And they value, they're coming to you because they do put a value on you. Yeah. You know they're gonna learn it. They're gonna be listening. They're gonna be applying what you learn. and. The ripple effect just explodes. Yeah,
1: absolutely, and it brings out the best in you. It does. Yeah, no, absolutely. So look, that's um, you know, challenge. Challenge wise, it's the challenge of not knowing, um, not knowing, but having faith that you know you've got what it takes to, to to get where you need to go. And it's also knowing what to do and when to do it. You know, for me now, because I'm one hundred percent in control of every day of the week, I don't yeah. have to turn up to work. You know, I don't have to be at any particular meetings. I don't have to turn up. It's my schedule. So I wake up at what time I want to get out of bed and I start work when I want to start and I stop when I want to stop. So for me, one of the biggest hurdles I've had to overcome was managing myself, knowing what to do and when to do it, you know, creating a schedule of sorts, creating a a hierarchy of needs in in all the things that I need to tick off in any given day, week, month, year being able to plan, look, I'm you know, the, the old e-myth of the, the, the entrepreneur, the manager and the technician, I know I'm not a manager. Yeah. I'm, I'm not process driven, I'm not no. systems driven, which is why when you and I had a business together, you were that guy. I was that guy, yeah. yeah. We were both entrepreneurial, we both yeah. had big picture ideas and I'm definitely entrepreneurial. Yeah. I'm definitely a technician, which is come, just comes through in the teaching and the, and yeah. the practice work. But um, I know for me, a big challenge is knowing that I'm not great at management, I'm not great at yeah. systems, I can manage people, I yeah. can manage people okay. Yeah. It's not my strongest suit. Um, I can get the best out of people, but managing myself has been a challenge. You know, yeah. Figuring out what to do and when to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll tend to do the things that I enjoy most first. And it's
0: ironic that Kaz plays a similar role now in your, in your current business of CEA Australia. Mm. as well. I guess I played with you when we did BodyLink. Mm. And that's why I love working because you come with an idea and then you would set a date and we just work towards it. And then I'll be the guy going, okay, let's just step back. Mm-hmm. Let's put this into a framework, let's yep. put it into a structure, and let's make it look a bit better. We'd still meet the date, mm. but it'd just look a bit different, and Kaz is now in that role of developing stuff. Yeah, she'll and put the content she, together. Yeah. she's still adding her professional input, like I was, and we both had a love of teaching, mm-hmm. um, as I know Kaz and you do, and it's similar. It's great to see that that role, you're still sitting with your strength. Yeah. And you're, not, and you're working to your strength. And I think that's a big part of success in business, just doing what you're passionate about. yeah. And then finding some that you can work with if you have to. Um, that covers the other area.
1: And I think that was a, a big fault of mine early on was I thought I could do everything 100% yep. perfectly. You know, I, yep. I'm I'm not a perfectionist, but I think that I can do everything as well as it needs to be done. Yeah. Except now I've realized that I, there's things that I'm just... Like, these yep. are not my strengths. You know, management yep. of... Of schedules and management of systems and procedures are not my right. strength. I can do them, but it's not yeah. where I'm doing my best work. Yeah. So now I know that you know I'm going to need help with this. I'll outsource it. I now I yeah. know that you know I need to get someone else with this. Outsource it. So, knowing what your weaknesses are and not see them as a weakness, but just recognizing that that's not your highest and best use of your yeah, time. Absolutely. And and direct your energy elsewhere.
0: I think there's a bit of a thing that I'm picking up on too. As as you're talking, that I know you, early on you mentioned that you. You lean towards individual sports, which is martial arts and, and ultra running. Mm. And now, being a business owner, a lot of people see that as it's all about me. It's, a, it's an individual thing. Yeah. What are your thoughts about how these individual sports are really? They they can't be achieved without a strong team around you.
1: Oh yeah, yep. Now for sure, look at that's come through in running and martial arts, but definitely in the running where you you know you're running, hundred kilometres, hundred miles, you know enormous distances over all sorts of terrain and. You you can do it by yourself, but you do it so much better when you've got a crew, when you've got yeah. a team that know what your needs are, and yeah. you know what their needs are, and you work well together. And and I look, it's just, it's one of those things. I I fall into the same trap in business sometimes, where I think you yeah. know, no one's going to do this as well as I will. Yeah. So I'll do it myself. Yeah. And I'll run myself ragged, and I'll get to the end of it, and I think, geez, if I had a bit more help. And yeah. then someone will pop up and say, well, why didn't you ask? And I'll think yeah. to myself, well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Why didn't I
0: ask? So, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't
1: I ask? So having a crew, having people around you that share your passion, maybe don't have the same strengths or, or challenges that you do, but can offer something that you can't, mm. and then bringing those, the right people together is a, it's a huge challenge in business, finding yeah. the right team. Um, so being able to hire but also fire when you need to is, yeah. is a real skill set that not one that I've had to, have to do a lot of in my business. As a yeah. manager in a, in a college, I did a lot of hiring, not as much firing, but a lot of hiring um, and I made mistakes yep. and I had some successes yeah. and I think through experience you get better at it. Um, but knowing when to say this is not the highest and best use of my time yeah. is both humbling and also important. Fantastic. Yeah.
0: Good lead way into where I'd like to go for the next question because okay. I think there's a, a lot of listeners will have a perception about how a business owner spends their day. Mm-hmm. You know, Some people think that they're drawing around in Lamborghinis and you know, Drinking lattes down the coffee That's shop. That's my day, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so quite. I'd love you to take us through, just share with, share with the, the audience what mm. your typical day looks like. So do you have a morning routine? Do you have a routine that you do just before you go to bed? Is there mm. a set time that you... Do you have a set routine around how much sleep you get? Yeah. Um, exercise, okay. all that type of stuff. So sure, sure. how would your typical day look?
1: Yeah, so I'm, I'm a fairly atypical individual in that I don't like routine a lot. Yep. I don't like to do the same thing every day. I like structure to a degree. I like to be certain about my own life and where things are going and have a bit of control in myself, but I don't like the same routine every day, um, which is why I've probably never had a normal nine to five existence. Even when oh, I was yeah. employed by somebody full time, I'd work nine to five or eight to five or eight to four, and then I'd you know run before work, yeah. and then I'd have a business after work, and I'd work yeah. on weekends. Like I'm, People from the outside in would say I'm a workaholic, but I'm doing all the things that I love every day. Yeah. So it actually makes, gives me more energy than it takes. Yeah. So I'm very lucky in that in that um, instance. But So my routine isn't the same every day. Um, but having said that, what I like to do uh, most days is run in the morning um, because I know that if I don't run in the morning, and that's my chosen form of exercise at the moment, yeah. is that I will go, well, I'll do it later today and then I'll get head buried into, into a task. And because I love what I do, yeah, I don't pull myself out of it until I absolutely have to and then the day's gone. So I'll run in the morning first thing, um, run off kayaking, kayaking is something else I've gotten into in the last little while Uh, and then I'll come back, shower, breakfast and then I'll sit down at the desk and I'll take on whatever tasks I've set myself for that day or that week. So I'll be working primarily CEA and then I intersperse that throughout the day with clients. I'll treat clients during the day as well and then unless I'm prompted to, I'll do that until I go to bed. Um, I would quite happily work on my business 15 16 hours a day every day of the week and never get tired and never get bored I love it that much because there's always so much variety and so many things that I enjoy about it that it never yeah. gets old so I'm uh, Caroline is a is a physiotherapist and when she gets home from work it's usually late in the evening we'll have dinner together and then because she's there that will pull me out of the work yeah so then we'll you know sit down together and watch a movie or whatever we'll do and then if I've still got juice in the tank which I typically do She'll go off to bed and I'll hit the computer again or hit whatever I'm doing and back into it. And sometimes that will finish at 10 o'clock. Sometimes that'll finish at 2 a.m. Every day is different. And I I don't like having the routine because if I'm really passionate about a particular thing I'm working on, I like to work on it until I've got nothing left. I've got to get out of me. Because otherwise I'll go to bed, my brain ticks over till 2 a.m. anyway, or it'll wake me up at 5 a.m. and I'll be back into it. So I think it's about letting out whatever's there. And um, so the, the days vary. But typically, I work more hours now than I ever did before, um, but it doesn't feel like work. Nice. But at the same time, I get to exercise more than I ever did because I've got more hours to play with. Because I've got that flexibility as a business owner,
0: as rather than an employee. No more commute.
1: No more commute. No. You had
0: a massive commute from the other side of the world. I was at one point traveling
1: close to five hours a day, yeah, to and from work uh, as a teacher, and then after those traveling hours, you'd go to your clinic. I'd go to my clinic for a couple of two or three hours in the evening. So I'd get home typically about 11. I was up each morning about 4.30. Yeah, And that was my existence for a number of years.
0: And you also started your Bruce's running yeah, my, coach. Yeah, my running business, with, with which
1: Bruce. again was born out of my love for that particular thing. Um, and we're still running that business today. And you know, I became a running coach out of that because of, I had something to offer that people thought was valuable. So they asked me to do more of that. So coaching and, was a natural Yeah, and very few people run as far as you do. Well, I guess, yeah. They go, well, if he's crazy enough on that phone, he must know what he's doing. <laughs> but the Brewster's running business for me is something that I always use as an analogy when I'm teaching business principles because yep. it was the, the one thing that taught me more than anything about the power of influence. Yeah. And so I, I did something, both Chris and I did something in that business that was, we didn't really have the intention for it to work out this way, but it just did. And it's the thing that's taught me more than just about any experience I've had in business, which was when you have something of value to offer, and you give it away for an extended period of time, at a certain point, that builds equity in the marketplace for you. Now, for me, it was about two years' worth of creating free videos and writing articles and blogs and articles and magazines and all sorts of things through our website and so on. For about two years, without asking for anything in return, without trying to sell anything, we just put out value, purely because we thought we had something to offer and people were enjoying it. And then off the back of that, I'd somehow built, and Chris had somehow built a reputation for for knowing more than most people did in that yep. space about that particular thing. So from that position of authority, it's probably the best way yep. to put it, it and not, not in an ego way, but in, in a position of, like, I have authority over, over a particular skill set or knowledge yep. set.
0: We had content out there, like, you, well, you we, had put a lot of content out into the market, yep. and there's a lot of people that look for that content, and mm. they're looking for advice, and you freely gave it. and Cause you put so much of it out there consistently over a long period of time a lot of people give up oh and, yeah and, and, and i guess that's one of the things i'll see running through all the things that you've done is this this idea of persistence
1: 100 percent, yeah so we our, our business should have been replicated by a million other people you know tenfold um over the years and there's been a few people that have come along and tried to do what we've done in the running space and have done it pretty well um but from what I can see, at least in Australia, we're the only ones that have done it for that long, that consistently, and stayed there, you know, stayed the yeah. course. And you know, a lot of physios will come in. So for those who don't know Bruce is running, it's basically education-based again, but teaching people about how to train better, train smarter, uh, prevent, prevent injuries, rehabilitate them. And then Chris looks after the nutrition side of things primarily. So we did that for a long time. And look at very few people contributed that much and have, con- have continued to do so because yeah. they either got bored, moved on to other things or whatever. We always did it as a hobby so it was, it was yeah. never something we had to rely on yep. and I think that was the advantage for us. We didn't have to rely on an income yeah. from what we just did it because we wanted to.
0: And I think that's one of the beautiful things is that you found something that you're passionate about, yep. just did it. Mm. Just so you could add value to other people's lives and eventually you worked out a way to monetize it. Yep. And A lot of people say, "Oh, how can, I, how can I live my passion or work my passion? I've got to earn money, I've got to you know, pay for bills, whatever. But I think there's a lot of things that people can do in their spare time, like you guys did. Mm. Like you guys worked, you travelled, did all those things, yeah. and you still did this in your spare time. Adding those other people, yeah, and then eventually you monetized it. Yeah, which is which is a great way to do it. it Help. I think that's a great model for people to transition into their business and mm. out of their job. And and people will Save say food.
1: people say I don't have enough time. I, I did that. I built that business on the train. I had a little yeah. laptop. In my backpack on the way to work, I had two hours each way, so a bus yep. ride for an hour, a train ride for an hour, every day for two or three years, and that was my time. The second I sat down on the chair in the bus and the train, the laptop was out and I was writing, yeah. creating content. And I did that every day without fail.
0: So how much Netflix did you watch on the train? The time, didn't, have, uh, didn't have, didn't <laughs> have Netflix then. There wasn't,
1: there wasn't a whole lot of consumptions, but there was yeah. a lot of creation. So yeah. and I loved it. You know, that was my opportunity to let out all the creative side of what I had in me, and yeah. and I still um, do that kind of work now, and I, yeah. I don't have as I say, I don't have as much time. Everyone's got the same amount of time. I always you got do. 24 hours. Yep. I don't contribute as much time to it now, but that was uh, my way of finding time.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, you found space within the space you had. Yeah,
1: I found an extra... I found the 25th hour in the day that no one knew existed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because a lot of people do watch Netflix on the train. They do. Yeah. Yep. Lucky for because me, there was no Netflix it. then. Otherwise, I may well, have then. gone Netflixing. I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. You may have been YouTubing about all the different runs you could go on. Potentially, then. yeah. yeah but yeah I I quite often do I'm still in the commute and uh, quite often see people just watching movies Mm. and they're looking at me because I'm typing on my iPad (laughs) yeah
1: Yeah. no there's there's a lot of dead space in everyone's life you know there's a lot of white space that can be utilized differently and and if you've got something you really want to do it's not a chore no you know there's there's nothing there's nothing hard about any of the businesses that I've run because all of it's been around my passion yeah there's been difficult times when I didn't want to do it yeah but it's always been for the right reason so that makes it a lot easier.
0: And the point you raised earlier about, you're very clear about what you wanna get done for the week mm. or that day. Yeah. So you have a goal or an achievement set in mind, so you know how to prioritize your time and make the best use of your time. And I think that aligns with you know, the comment I made earlier about having intent behind what we do. Yeah. And I got a lot of that out of NLP MasterPract actually, which was, it's okay to sit down and watch TV if you know why you're sitting down and watch TV. Exactly. I like sitting down watching movies with my family and yeah, it's a great time to sit there and you know, have the kids on the lap and just spend time close with them. Mm. But I know I'm not doing that for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And it's not always about the movie. Mm. It's about spending time with the people who are close to me.
1: That's something that Caroline's taught me, to, yeah. to switch off. She's great at just relaxing and doing yeah. nothing. I've never been good at doing nothing. And she's taught Can me to... No, yeah. <laughs> she's, never, she's taught me to be still. Yes. So, you know, the times that we sit there and watch a, a film at night or whatever we're doing, yeah. that for me initially was a challenge because there yeah. was so many other things I wanted to do yeah and because it was a business that we share I would think well let's just let's do it right you have the same passion as me but she's got a different drive than I do yes. so that's tempered my or, or balanced my um, my energy a little bit around that which has been good
0: and ironically your business is taking off
1: yes yeah so yeah. by pulling back a little bit yeah. it gives me a, um, space to look at it differently yeah you know, so I, yeah, one thing it's it's helped me do is is step back and go right. Well, I'm not good at management strategies or well, not strategies management and and um, systems. So now I create lists. I create right. checklists for things to do, and I'll plan things out in advance rather than just yeah. do them as they come into my mind. I have yeah. to
0: ask: Do you follow the list once you make them, though, or do you just make the list and go, "Oh, I made a list"? No, I, I'm pretty I'm good. Good. I'm good. Yeah,
1: if I'll write a list, but I I'd overdo it. So okay. let's say Monday, Sunday night, Monday morning this week, I wrote a list, and I'll, I I think to myself. I'm going to put down uh, six things on my list to do tomorrow and I'll invariably put down 13 or 14 knowing full well that I'll never get them done. And then so this week, my 13 things on the list that I write down Monday morning, nine got done by Monday afternoon. Tuesday morning, I take the same list, the last three or four things, add it to the new one, put another 10 on there and I tick them off and I tick them off and I tick them off. So it forces me to do more than I think that I'm capable of and then I realise that I am capable of that.
0: Which is a great way to be. Mm. So I just want to start wrapping this up because we've been going for a little while now. Yeah. Um, I guess I've, I've, throughout the podcast, I've been hearing some themes come through, and one of them is about embracing the fear, which is mm-hmm. just say yes anyway, even if you don't know how you're going to do it. Yeah. And, and knowing that sometimes you're going to get scared, yep. um, And there's going to be nerves, but it's how you, it's the the spin that you put onto those nerves. So at the start, it's actually I'm afraid, mm-hmm. and that's actually no, this is exciting. You still get the same butterflies in your stomach, but instead of stopping you from moving forward, you're allowing that to actually energize you to add even more benefit to people. Yeah. the other one I'm hearing is about persistence. It's about knowing that if you just keep going, Bruce is running as a classic exemplar, you've just been consistent. Mm -hmm. Just constantly putting content out there. You're not putting content out five times a day. It's just every couple of days, you're putting a video out, you're putting a blog out, you're putting a post out.
1: relentless forward motion.
0: Absolutely, it's just yeah. these small steps constantly that has got you to where you, where you are now and it's been consistent through all of, your, all of your businesses. Yeah. So if there's three things that you could share with the audience about mm-hmm. you know, probably the three key things for you, pieces of advice that you could give them, what would they be?
1: Yeah, okay. I think two of them you just touched on. So one would be the confidence thing. Do confidence. Don't wait yeah. for it to show up actually turn up and, and take control of that so do, do confidence even when you don't feel it Yeah. and eventually you'll learn to harness that um, hang in for two minutes longer than the next guy would be the no second else. thing yeah. yeah. so the world's full of successful people that didn't actually achieve success because the yeah. potential was there but they never achieved it so you know when you see everybody else giving up and you see and you feel like you want to give up just hang in that little bit longer all it takes is a little bit longer because no one yeah. else no one else waits that last little bit. Yeah. So if you can get past that, then you're gonna win. The third thing, the third thing would have to be give. So nice. if you can Beautiful. if you can give more than the next guy, yeah. uh, without asking for anything in return, you will get more than anybody else. Yeah. So giving is always the right thing to do. It is. So just do it. Even when you think you're going to get nothing in return, if you have something to offer, something to give, something to share, yeah. then do it, step back and just see what happens. Yeah. The world delivers.
0: Without even that intent of knowing that's going to come back. No. You know, so and a lot of people say, oh, if I give more, I'll get more. Mm. But I think that's still the wrong intent, isn't it? So from what I'm hearing from you. It's actually just give without wanting anything. Yeah. Just give knowing that you're going to add value and you're going to give benefit to someone. Yeah,
1: and give with, with the trust. that, And this sounds a little bit, um, you know, a little bit... Uh, Esoteric, but giving with the trust that the universe will figure something out for you in return. Yes, um, I'm. You know, everyone's so skeptical now about being sold to. You know, we see so yeah. much marketing and everything that we do in our life. Yeah. You know, if somebody says here have this thing. Your question is always okay, but what's it going to cost me? Or, or, or what, what do you? What, what do you want in what's return? The angle? Yeah, what's yeah. the angle? So everyone's looking. For, everyone's got that skeptical mindset. And now when people, I get asked by past students, current students a lot of the time for advice on things, and I now go out of my way to offer help you know even before they ask for it so when that they so they feel more confident in asking yeah and then they'll always be surprised by the fact that there's no bill there's no you know no account for them to settle at the end of the the, at the end of the exchange and i really enjoy surprising people with the giving um and when you can give and they they don't expect anything in return or when you don't expect anything in return it just it just changes the game and it, it puts you in a massive position of of benefit. Oh, what's the best term? It puts you in a position of... Well, it feels
0: nice to help people, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like,
1: it, it puts you in a position of, you know, I'm in front here. Like, I yeah. gave to you, but
0: I'm in front. Yeah. Like, I, I feel good about it. Yeah. You, you got something that you wanted. And you can see... You can see the shift in their face, and I've been asked that question, like, how do I stay passionate about business coaching? Because, like, that, that can bore the crap out of some people. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do that for probably it for over a decade and i still love it mm. and people say especially when i was teaching people how to do it so right. I, I taught many people over the last decade on how to be business coaches and they'd come up to me after doing it for two or three years and they'd go what's wrong w- why do you say so passionate about i'm like i can see the change in people so when you like so when you give to people freely and you can see that light bulb come on it's worth, worth its weight in gold.
1: It's probably why I got, naturally came into teaching. Yeah. You know, just you want to share something that you've got. Yeah. Um, you know, life's so much better when you share it with others. It is. And if you get to share it with people who are passionate about the same things you are and love the same things that you love, then, you know, that, that's a much better position to be in. So, yeah, I think the third yeah. thing would be give. Nice. But without the expectation of getting something in return. And then yeah. just w- sit back and watch what happens. Lovely.
0: Mm. I'd like to share some of the stuff with the audience now, what you've got going on at the moment, because I know you've got some big plans yes. going on for CEA Australia. Yeah. So, what's happening for you in your, in your space? Okay, well,
1: this, this business has obviously been growing fairly quickly for us in the last couple of years, and one thing that I've recognised uh, in recent times is that for us to be competitive in our market, and it's a fairly, it's a fairly uh, competitive market, there's a few providers out there doing similar things to us, but for us to be competitive is we have to be different. We have to innovate. Yeah. So rather than compete with them, I've decided to change the game. So we're not going to play the professional development market anymore. Yeah. What we're going to do is build an ecosystem.
0: Nice.
1: So most people build a business around education. They're going to run courses. They're going to run online courses. They're going to run face-to-face courses. They're going to run seminars. They're going to do webinars. They're going to do whatever... We're going to build an ecosystem where people can come into it and be self-sustained. So an ecosystem is is an environment where species, people, whatever you know, entities can exist and be self-sustained. So we want to build an ecosystem of education where people can come into it and never have to leave. Yeah. They can get everything they need. So we've got seven or eight different arms of the business that we've almost completed building. So we have one and two day short courses. We have... Yeah multi-day uh retreats that are now going to be happening overseas we've got a, our first of a conference that we're running next year it's we, huge it's huge we've multi yeah. you know
0: that's uh, very weird all of you presented is yeah. it yeah,
1: presenters from all over the world coming to deliver at that particular conference the first conference of its kind around dry needling um we're now running webinars we're going to have some online courses happening soon uh i've got a, a youtube show that we're doing we've got um
0: so, where can people find that, by the way?
1: Uh, CEA TV on YouTube. CEA TV. TV. Yep. On YouTube. You, you check that out on YouTube, you'll find it. So, so we highly recommend that. Thank you. Um, so, this is, yeah, we're building an ecosystem where my goal always has been for people in the health profession to come out of their, their formal education, tertiary education, yeah. and be chomping at the bit to get to CEA. Yeah. So, they're just getting their ticket to practice, but their ticket's also an opportunity for them to start doing the real learning. So we're trying to build an ecosystem where people can come into it and get everything they possibly need to support them in, the, in their growth as health practitioners to be able to yep. do better work for the for the general public, but also to help them feel more uh, and to support them and help them feel more um, engaged and in love with their work. Yeah. So we're, we're basically... My goal is to build an ecosystem for education. Fantastic. Particularly around health. For health practitioners specifically, yeah. Because if you know if you try to go too broad, if we just want to build, you know, a business around education in general, you yeah. can water it down, and, and oh, you, you know, yeah. you're an expert in nothing. Then so yeah. we've chosen health practitioners, manual therapists specifically, yeah. Um, because that's the passion area for us, and uh, we think that we can do a really good, do really good work there. Yeah. So we're trying to build an environment that is self sustaining for anyone that comes into that space, yeah. And can give them everything they need going forward.
0: That's fantastic. Mm. It's worth pointing out, though, that a lot of that stuff that you've already got going is free. Yeah. So CEATV is free. Yep. And you're putting content out weekly. Yep, every week. Pretty much every week. Interviewing health
1: practitioners. It's an education-based interview format.
0: Yep. And so they're sharing their experiences. People who are new to the industry can learn how they've built their business, how they can shape their own business based Mm -hmm. upon the experience of others. Uh, You're putting out posts regularly on Facebook. So where can people find you on Facebook? Uh, C underscore
1: E underscore Australia on okay. Facebook, um, and the same again on, on Instagram. But yeah, we write you know long form blogs, articles, that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, helping people build their businesses, be better health practitioners. Okay. that's all free. Are you on Twitter? Uh, yes, but not very active on Twitter. Okay, so where can they provide. find you on Twitter? That's an excellent question. It's not something I've, that's not something okay. I've touched for a while. Yeah. Okay, so we'll
0: just cover. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, Instagram. again, so it's yep. C um, C
1: underscore E underscore Australia. Excellent, yeah,
0: fantastic, yeah. And if they want to get in touch with you personally, just through Facebook,
1: uh, yeah, Facebook message, or you can email us at info at ceaustralia dot com. Probably the easiest one,
0: yep. and they'll be able to find out all the upcoming courses and seminars and yep. workshops that you're running.
1: Absolutely through the through our website, or you can email me, you know, and I'll add you to our mailing list. Um, yeah. yeah, look. If you're in the manual health space in Australia, there's a very good chance you've seen us around through social yeah. media. We, we, we're fairly active in that space because we know that that's where the attention is. Um, and yeah, we, we basically want to con- connect with as many people as possible because we think we've got something valuable to offer.
0: Yeah, which is great. Mm. Fantastic. I think we did it. We did it? Yeah.
1: Number one, ticked Number off. one. Well, it's been a real honor to be the first interviewee on, on this you.
0: podcast. Thank you, Brett, for having me. Thanks for trusting me to do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> We'll see how we go. Great. Thanks, Sean. Thanks very much and all the best for the future, mate. Thanks, Brett. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back on as as you go down the track. I look forward to it. That'd be fantastic. Cheers. Thanks, Sean. we out. Well, there you go. Podcast number one has been done. What did you think? What did you take away from Sean's lessons and his experiences that he's applied to his business and the success that he's seen? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Think we couldn't think of a better way a better person to open our podcast series up thank you sean appreciate it brother take care everyone catch up on the next podcast i'm out